Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at the first 13 verses of the chapter. I love one of the songs we sang already, um, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. Like Paul said, of whom I am chief. (laughs) And I relate so much to that. And I'm sure, sure many of us can relate to that. Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And the stories we see here today center around the fact that Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. Let's go ahead and read our text, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9. Then getting into a boat, I'm sorry, yeah. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, Some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and went home. Then when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many of the tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, They said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. Lord, give me strength. Help me. I need your grace as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The text begins uh, on the heels of what we saw before. Um, The last passage, Jesus had healed Two men with demons, 
around the Gadarenes, and they left. When we, when we left off, the, the people of the city had come out and begged Jesus to leave their region. So he did. He got into a boat and he crossed over back to probably Capernaum. It says um, his own city. Back in chapter 4, we see that Jesus had left Nazareth and he lived in, in Capernaum for a while. So he had come back to Capernaum. And it tells us here that... When Jesus got back to Capernaum, someone brought him a man that was lying on a stretcher. Now, if you've read the other Gospels, you know something even bigger about this. This is the same story that in in Mark and in Luke, although it leaves this detail out here in Matthew, in Mark and in Luke, it tells us about how it was a big crowd and Jesus was inside the house. And this man's friends climb up on the roof and they tear away pieces of the roof and they lower this man down so that he could get close to Jesus. This is that story. So these friends, they care so much about their friend who is paralyzed. He can't get up. He can't care for himself. Um... He's paralyzed. They care so much that they bring him to Jesus. Why would they bring him to Jesus? Well, they have seen or they've heard reports of all the miracles that Jesus had been doing already. We see already he had healed a leper. We already see that he had healed a centurion servant from a distance. We see that he had healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. We see that he had healed... um, uh, people who had demons. And so Jesus' reputation came before him. These people uh, that were these friends of this paralytic had heard of Jesus' reputation and they want to get their friend close to Jesus. And then it tells us here in verse 2, and when Jesus saw their faith, and when Jesus saw their faith, how do you see faith? How do you see faith? We think of faith as something that's inside of us. I believe something. That's that's faith. I I believe in Jesus. I believe that's faith. So how did Jesus see their faith? Well, for one, Jesus was omniscient. (laughs) Jesus could see into the hearts of men, but he could also see the demonstration of their faith. They believed in Jesus so much, they believed that he was able to heal, that they got up on a roof. We don't read about it here, but we read about it elsewhere. They got up on a roof and tore the house apart just so that they could get their friend to Jesus. That was strong faith. Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of these friends of this paralytic. And he said to the paralytic, take heart. He gives an encouragement. Imagine the the feeling this paralytic may have had, just unable to care for himself, having to depend on other people. Couldn't walk himself, but had to be carried wherever he went. And you can imagine he felt pretty discouraged. Jesus here begins with just an encouraging word. 
and says, take heart. When you're discouraged, when you feel like you can't do everything yourself, when you feel the weight of being dependent on others, Jesus says to us, take heart. My child, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. That is kind of shocking. We today, as Christians, we look at this text and we're not shocked by it at all. We're used to it. But just consider the context here. I mean, this hadn't happened yet up until now. These friends bring this paralytic to Jesus because they know that he can heal. And what Jesus says to him is different from what they're expecting. He says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw that this man had a physical need. But the first thing he spoke about wasn't the physical need. It was the same need that each one of us has. We may be fully able-bodied people who can do everything that we want to do in different levels of physical fitness. And yet we share something in common with this paralytic. We have a problem of sin. We have a problem of sin that we can't get rid of on our own. We have broken God's law. We haven't always loved God perfectly. We haven't always loved our neighbor. We have envied. We have hated. We have not been truthful. We have lusted. And we need a remedy just like this paralytic did. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And verse 3 here, it says, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. What does it mean to blaspheme? It means to slander. Uh, generally, it means to slander, to speak ill. Um, but the Jews understood blasphemy as, as something like taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay, to, to and um, you know, uh, watched a movie this week. It was supposed to be a kind of a family movie, and uh, you know, today whenever we watch family movies, it's it's not uncommon something that may be rated PG just to hear GD, and it just goes right past us. But it's taking the Lord's name in vain. I mean, that's almost worse than some of the other ones that we would think of as worse. That's the kind of outrage that they had against Jesus because what Jesus was doing whenever he said, your sins are forgiven, is he was saying something that only God could say. He was taking the prerogatives of God alone on himself. So Jesus... Knowing their thoughts, there again, Jesus was omniscient. He saw the faith in its demonstration whenever the paralytic's friends laid him down, but he could see into the thoughts of these scribes 
who were thinking before they ever said anything. He said, why do you think such evil in your hearts? Which is it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise and walk. Now, think about that for a minute. If we were to think about, if we were to put it in our context today and ask somebody, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk, we would probably say it's harder to say, rise up and walk, right? That's probably what we would say. Because if we were to say that, it's not really something you can verify. It's something that's not in the tangible world that we can see and that we can touch. So for us, we, would, we, we think about that as modern people and we think, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way anybody can test it to find out if it's true or not. But I think the point that Jesus was getting at is that it's actually easier to say, rise up and walk. For him, because he's God. What did it take for Jesus to be able to say, your sins are forgiven? It took his death. It took his leaving heaven, coming to earth, living among sinful men, and going to the cross. That's what it took for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. To this paralytic, and what it took to say it to us. And so he needed, he was going to prove his ability to, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. He was demonstrating that he had that authority, that power to say, your sins are forgiven by performing this miracle. And so Jesus tells the paralytic, pick up, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man does exactly what Jesus said. This paralytic. Who knows how long it had been since he could walk? Who knows how long it had been since he could do anything for himself? And yet, when Jesus commanded him, rise, pick up your bed, and go home, he did it. He got up. He picked up his bed and he went home. And how did the crowd respond? This is not saying what the scribes, how the scribes responded. This is saying how the crowds responded. They saw it and they were afraid. They were amazed. They were afraid. You know, when uh, Jesus um, calmed the storm in chapter 8, we looked at that before. In verse 27, it says, The men marveled, saying, What sort of men is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? In Mark, whenever it tells the same story, it says they were afraid. They feared with a great fear. So there's a, there's a connection here between marveling, being amazed, and being fear, fearful. So whenever it says they, they, they were afraid, I think they were amazed. They were standing in awe of what God had done in their midst. 
And they glorified God. They they gave God the glory for what had done. We move on to the next story. Verse 9. And Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Who was this man? Luke and Mark tell the same story. And yet, in Mark and Luke, they call him Levi. In the book of Matthew, this is that Matthew. (laughs) That Matthew. He's recording his own call. Is there a problem here that... that, uh, one book calls him Matthew and the other, the other two call him Levi. No, there's no problem here. We, we see Peter being called by three different names. He's called Simon, he's called Peter, and he's called uh, Cephas. And we see Paul, the same thing. He was Saul first and now he was Paul. We see Barnabas, who was also called, or he was Joseph, who was called Barnabas. So a lot of times in, in, the, in this In the New Testament, we see people who go by different names. Matthew here, he's telling the story himself, and he he says, a man called Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. This is not just somebody who was sitting there. He was the tax collector. He was the man. And and when we think of tax collector, in, in this setting, we're not talking about Somebody working for the United States government from the IRS. I mean, as bad as that might be. (laughs) No, because this uh, this tax collector in in this era, he was a Jew who was working for the Romans. The the, um, Judea was under the occupation of the Romans and the Jews hated the Romans. They wanted them out of their territory. They wanted to have an independent state. And these tax collectors were considered traitors. They were betraying their nation by collaborating with the Romans. So Matthew would have been hated. He he would have been an outcast. While he would have had plenty of money because of his betrayal, he would have gotten plenty of money from his profession of collecting taxes for the Romans. His own people would have rejected him. That's the kind of man that Matthew was. And Jesus came to him and he said the same two words that he said to a few fishermen in earlier chapters. Follow me. So we don't know what Matthew knew about Jesus beforehand. I mean, if he was, if Jesus had lived in Capernaum, he may have heard about him. He may have seen some of the miracles already. We, we just don't know a lot of information here. But Matthew responded in much the same way that Peter and Andrew and James and John did. Jesus said, follow me. When 
Peter and Andrew and James and John, when Jesus said, follow me, what they do? They left their nets and followed Him. They abandoned everything and followed Him. In the same way, Matthew, he rose and followed Him. He left his work. He walked off the job to go follow Jesus. He was leaving a lot. The Romans would have padded his pockets with money for what he was doing. He probably had quite a good living. He left it all to follow Jesus. And he has two problems here. If he leaves all of that to follow Jesus, he can't go back. And also, because everybody would have seen him as a traitor, this tax collector, who is he going to get a job with if he ever decided to change his mind? He was cutting off any opportunity of future employment. But he leaves it all to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Not necessarily leaving our job. Not necessarily although in some cases it might be. That he calls us to follow him regardless of the cost. Verse 10. And Jesus reclined at the table in his house in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. I believe that Luke and Mark tell us that this was Matthew's home. This brand new disciple invites Jesus to his house and they throw a big banquet. He celebrates his following Jesus by throwing a banquet and invites all of his buddies to come. There's tax collectors and there's sinners. We don't know what kind of sinners that they, these were. Were they prostitutes? Were they um, swindlers? We don't know. It just says sinners. But there were tax collectors and sinners. People that the religious people would not have any, want to have anything to do with. They're all meeting there at Matthew's house and they're reclining at the table. They, they didn't have chairs to sit around a table that, like we do today. They would lie. The table would be down closer to the ground and they would lie down and eat. Very relaxed and casual situation. They were reclining at the table to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Now, it's important that we also say Jesus did this, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus was sinless. But he spent time and he came for and he loved sinners. Oh, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. We can be thankful for that. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? A couple of things here. The, the, the Pharisees, they wouldn't have gone inside. They wouldn't have had anything to do with that. They must have heard about it later. So when the, these Pharisees heard about this, they, go, they don't go to Jesus and ask Him. They go to His disciples. 
They asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus doesn't give the disciples time to answer. You want to know why I eat with tax collectors and sinners? Don't go to them. Come to me. (laughs) He defends what he's done. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. Jesus came as the great physician. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Whenever he talks there about the sick and the well, yes, he healed a lot of people, but I think he's there talking about spiritually sick. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And he quotes an Old Testament passage. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus demonstrates God's glory by giving mercy. By giving mercy. It's not sacrifice that he was after, that, that, that people, you know, David talked in the Psalms about, you don't desire the blood of bulls and goats. Those things could never take away sin. What God, God wants from us is mercy. And he gives us mercy. And the last part there, he says, For I came, to call not, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, a lot of people, when they look at a church, maybe they don't want to even set foot in it because they think, oh, that's just full of, full of a bunch of church people, a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of, of uh, self-righteous people who think they're better than us. That's not what the church is. <laughs> the church is a bunch of sinners. The church is a bunch of beggars who found bread and are going to the other people to let them know, hey, there's bread here. Come and eat. Maybe they've had bad experiences because a lot of churches, they act like the Pharisees here. They don't want to have people come in who are dirty, who don't look right. Jesus didn't come for people who had it all together. He came for the sinners, for the addicts, for the hurt, for the abused. He came for the weak, He came for the sick. He came for the dying to forgive our sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins and Christ came to give us life, to wake us up from the dead. And He has adopted us as sons and daughters. Oh Jesus, what a friend of sinners. He is gentle and lowly. He desires for us to come to Him. When we 
feel burdened by the weight of our sin and we feel like I just can't come to Him, when we feel like I just am so ashamed I can't bring my sin to Him, that's exactly the opposite of the way we should feel. For He longs for us to come to Him as the remedy. He delights to forgive us when we come to Him in repentance. So believers, brothers and sisters, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of sinners like us. And sinners like the ones who we want to call to Him. listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.